You know how fast you're going? What? How fast you're going? I don't know. Ten? Eight. Welcome to Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Iceman. We are in the MCC Studios, my clubhouse. And today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, if you noticed, we didn't have the warning. We didn't have no cussing and stuff like that on here. It's going to be different. We actually got somebody I can use their real name for the first time. It's uh, going to be Jim Brown. He is running for police chief of Walker. I've uh, known him for a very long time. We've both been in law enforcement for a long time. He's retired from a previous department. We're going to let him talk about, uh, I, gave, I gave him some questions previously two weeks ago. I'd also contacted the sitting chief, David Addison. Also, he has the same exact questions. Uh, I've offered, contacted him twice. He's got the same offer. He may come on the podcast and answer the same exact question. Uh, so we're going to get uh, Jim Brown on here to talk about his stuff. We'll let him introduce himself, tell us some of his background. Mr. Brown. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Trust me. It's, it's the first time I actually feel like, oh, like a reporter. Well, uh, so far, so good. You're doing an excellent job. Well, thank you. Well, let's see. Um, my name is Jim Brown. I'm uh, running for police chief for the city of Walker this year. The election's November 3rd, uh, 2020. coincides with the presidential election. And I'm just really excited about uh, what I have to bring to the city of Walker. Um, if you want me to talk about my... Talk about whatever uh, your background, your experience. Okay, you're bring. okay. Well, let's see. Um, I've been in law enforcement for a total of 35 years. I re- recently retired from the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office yes. uh, after 30 years and spent m- my whole career there. That's... And I served in, you know, a multitude of uh, functions there, uniform patrol. I was a patrol supervisor. I taught the D.A.R.E. program for a number of years throughout the schools, throughout the parish, but especially in Walker. Um, I was a detective at one point and did general detectives, whatever needed to be investigated, and that's what we did. Um, I later became warden after they had uh, two major escapes, or they had a major escape, I should say, involving two murderers. Uh, so I was promoted to the rank of warden, and I served in that capacity for a number of years. And um, the, after that, I became the chief of uniform operations, where I was over 10 divisions, uh, over 100 people, uh, in 30 years, a long time. Yes, it was a very long time. <laughs> Some of the people that may be voting for you now, uh, I had a dare officer. I remember Jim when he uh, drove the corvette they used to have in the dare program absolutely that was something uh i was a hit with the kids years ago the sheriff's office seized a corvette it was a 1980 corvette matter of fact from a drug dealer in dunham springs and through the seizure process they decided that they would make it into a dare vehicle so in 1992 they outfitted it blue and white just like our regular color scheme put bar lights on it and uh the kids thought i was the bomb I uh, even made it even better. I went to a local business back then and asked them to donate a, a sound system for it. 
and the business did. So they had a real loud radio in there, and it really got the kids' attention. It, it served a purpose. Oh, yes. On the side of the vehicle, we put this vehicle was seized from a drug dealer because people thought, of course, the perception was that the sheriff's office was buying right. Corvettes with uh, taxpayers' funds, and it was completely free, 100%. Well, some of them same kids may vote for you this time now. You know, what's funny is that when I started teaching in, in – 1992, the D.A.R.E. program, the kids were in fifth grade. They were 10 years old. Now they're in their late 30s, and I see them all the time. I had a Walmart, and they're like 35, 37, 38, and they're walking around with their kids, and they say, they'll look at me and say, Deputy Brown? And I'll say, yeah, you remember me? Yeah, how can I forget my D.A.R.E. officer, you know? And uh, it's uh, very, very good. A lot of people, when you're talking about D.A.R.E., you know, a lot of people thought that it was a waste of money spending that kind of money to put an officer in school and all that because you can't quantify whether or not the money that was spent by the sheriff's office was worth it. But if you change one child, if you change one child from a life of crime and, and destruction and all that, it was worth it. So uh, I've, I've seen a lot of successful sort of stories uh, with the D.A.R.E. students. I've seen some that didn't listen to what was taught to them as well. But Generally speaking, it's a fantastic program, and uh, I'm glad that it continues to this day. And that's probably one of my best assignments I ever had. I think the D.A.R.E. program is great. It's a big influence on a lot of the children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to start off with the first question I gave you. Like I said, I did give him his questions about like, so two weeks ago around there. Yeah, about Everything, that. So I'm not trying to do no into this shock business or anything like that. Uh, the first one's going to be uh, – why do you want to be the chief of police for the city of Walker? Well, that's a great question. As I was coming to the end of my career, you know, I, I was ready to retire. I was ready to leave and just go on to other pastures. Actually, the plan was, was for my wife and I to hook up to the camper and just start going camping, fishing. We like to antique and just spend time together because during the course of 30 years between working your regular job and details, you never got to see your wife too much. So that was kind of my vision. However, for the last six months to a year prior to retiring, I started having uh, individuals approaching me from the police department as well as some of the citizenry of the city of Walker. And they were advising me that they thought that I should run, that they were looking for a change, and they, they knew that I had the education and the skill set uh, to hopefully bring some positive change for the police department as well as the city of Walker. So that I started thinking about it really hard. I started thinking about it. I really didn't, that wasn't a goal of mine, but I started praying about it because the, the people just kept on coming and kept on asking and all that. And uh, I just prayed. I'll just be honest with you. I am a Christian. Um, I try to live my life right. And I, I was, I, I sought God's face. I really did. And I, I, I asked God, I said, if this is your will, I said, then I want you to open doors for me. But if it's not your will, I want you to slam the door hard on me, and that way I'll know definitively, and then I won't run. And I can honestly say, since I've retired and I've made an announcement, I mean, the, the doors have been wide open. I've got a lot of support in the community. Uh, there's financial support coming in. And so it's, it's just been a great thing. Yeah, very good. Uh, the next one's going a little bit more deep, which I think he was probably a little surprised that it came from me. Uh, a big topic in law enforcement community today is uh, is the mental health of officers and what would you do or put in place to ensure 
the mental health of your officers? That's, that's a good question. Well, in my previous position at the sheriff's office, when I was over uniform patrol in several other divisions, I mean, we came across individuals, uh, officers, deputies, that uh, had some issues with um, various, various mental health issues, let's say. Mainly it was caused by the exposures to really negative things that they had seen or been involved with. It was not always job-related. Sometimes it was personal and, and so forth. So the mental health and the stability of an officer is, is paramount, not only for the Walker Police Department, but for all law enforcement. So my vision for that would be if there's an officer that declares that they have a problem, then we would absolutely refer them to you know proper counselor. We would probably start off initially, depending on the degree of, of what the issue is, with, with the in-house chaplain. Maybe it could be something that the chaplain could deal with and can help them. But if it's something of a greater magnitude, then they would be provided counseling. Um, by a professional that's trained in, in those kinds of matters. So mental health issues are really important because I'm sure you know that the divorce rate, the suicide rate for law enforcement officers is just greater than the average population. So we have to be cognizant of the mental health, the mental stability of our officers who are in charge of going out enforcing the law and, and protecting other people. If they're not squared away, then they're not going to be able to perform their functions as they should. So that's good to know. They'll have your support to come to you. You shouldn't have to fear. Absolutely. And, and see, that's always been a problem, I think, in years past, is that a lot of officers were scared to come forward because they would, number one, be perceived in their mind or maybe in reality that they were weak. But, I mean, the bottom line is officers are just people, too. And we're flesh and blood. We make mistakes. We, we have the same issues that everybody else has. It's just whenever you compound the regular issues that we all have in life and then officers' exposure to murders and, and rapes and all the negative stuff out there, it can become overwhelming. So they would absolutely have a friend in, in the police chief who would absolutely do everything it is to help them overcome that their issue. They would not be ostracized or, or punished or whatever the perception may be. They would be taken in with open arms. That's great. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of departments nowadays, like I said, I'm still in law enforcement, and uh, they know if they go in, they will be ostracized. I, I like your answer to that question. Um, in your opinion, and it's, I still do this. Is uh, what's your opinion on uh, the old school community policing, where officers actually get out of their cars, walk around in the neighborhood, and interact with the people? That's a, that's a great question. I tell you what, I I miss the old school days of what we what was started back in the day as community policing. Community policing is so very important, especially in today's world. In the size in any city, but especially let's say in Walker is what we're talking about specifically. There are so many people in and out all the time. The population is growing in, in leaps and bounds, and officers are going call to call. They're they're really really busy. But during downtimes, I think we need to go back to the old ways where you get out of the car and you actually you see somebody cutting grass. Whenever you have a, a moment, slow time. Pull over, talk to them, find out what's going on, introduce yourself. Let them know that the Walker Police Department cares about you and that 
they may be willing to tell you about some issues right then that they probably may not pick up the phone for, but because you took a, a proactive stance and decided to stop and speak with them, they can tell you what the problems are. If they have a question or issue or anything, the same thing with the businesses. You know, when I started in law enforcement, it was it was a common practice to get out and go talk to business owners, check on them, check on their stores during the daytime while they're there, but also you check on them at night. You go by there and you pull on their door, make sure that windows aren't broken, that their businesses that they use to support themselves and their families are being taken care of. So getting out of the car is going to be something that's expected. Having that personal face-to-face contact, look at somebody in the eye, press the flesh, and let them know by your actions and by the way you speak to them that you care. So that is going to be very, very important in, under my my administration. Yeah, I love community policing. Like I said, I still do it. I carry uh, stickers or suckers. I actually go out of my own pocket and buy candy. I totally believe in getting – I'll get off my motorcycle, of course, and just – I see people barbecuing at our park and get out and just walk up and start talking to them, talking to the kids. I just find that if the people in the community know their policemen – so much better by name your job is so much easier and the community will trust you so much more than you're just that that guy driving past looking at you like because they don't know that you're just driving around actually checking on them to make they're okay a lot of communities will believe you're driving around thinking you're trying to catch them doing something wrong absolutely and and a lot of a lot of small departments get reputations over time as being big ticket riders and all that they do is just go out and Let's say, I don't want to say harass the police, but aggressively police. And aggressive policing, there's a place for that. It just depends on the circumstances. But generally, there should be a bond, a trust between the law enforcement officers and the community. And that should go go hand in hand. And that starts with the officer. And what I mean by that is when you're a police officer, deputy sheriff, or you wear a badge, it is an honor to wear that badge. So you should be holding yourself to a higher standard all the time so that whenever you do have to take action or do something in the community that may not be so popular, you know, you understand. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you're, yes, you, just you're, very much. Exactly. And that's kind of one of my, my mantras, you know, for my campaign is I want to bring three things basically, my three bullet points for the Walker Police Department, and it's about service. It's about professionalism, and it's about accountability. You know, I want the Walker Police Department to be a service-oriented entity, a service-oriented law enforcement entity. And, again, it goes not just to go out there and write everybody a ticket if, if somebody's breaking the law. You know, people deserve a break. You know, if people are continuing to offend, then you do what you have to do. You, you write that ticket. But if somebody's just having a bad day and they're going a few miles over the speed limit and you pull them over, just understand that they, they may be having a bad day just like you have bad days too. Show some compassion. A little bit of compassion goes a long way and helps to restore uh, the, the trust between the community and law enforcement. So help everybody you can is going to be kind of like what's pushed out there. Help everybody you can, and but at the end of the day, we're still going to have to do our job. Yes, you know? I agree with that totally. I mean, it's the cliche question, you know, in interviews with being a cop. Why do you want to be in law enforcement? It's like, well, I want to help people. Well, I, it's cliche, but believe it or not, I mean, it's it's the truth. 
I got into the profession for the same reason. I'm sure Jim Brown got into the profession. I just like helping people. The problem is that sometimes, you know, in this type of job, I mean, it gets violent and physical sometimes. But still, like I said, getting a community, and that's great. And you know what's coming up next Well, is this question. Well, before you go to that, uh, let, me, let me say this. In speaking about service, I agree with you 100%. Most people that get into law enforcement definitely are not getting into it for the money. They truly have a heart that they want to serve, they want to give back. And I'll just give you an example. I started with the Denver Springs Police Department in 1985, and I was making a grand total of $745 a month. Uh, so what's that, $9,000 a year? <laughs> and so I said, you know what? But, you know, I had a servant's heart. I wanted to serve. I wanted to be a policeman. I liked what I did. So I decided to make this my career path. So I decided to go to college. So I sought a college degree. I went to Southeastern. I majored in criminal justice. And I, I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in, in criminal justice. And then I started with the sheriff's office. With a four-year degree and with experience, I was making a grand total of $849 a month, which that's just a tad over $10,000 a year. So... If people think that we get into police work for the money aspect of it, it absolutely is not. You know, so it is a calling is what law enforcement is for somebody that wants it as a career, that it's a true career thing. Some people in today's world are just looking for a job. They're looking for benefits and, and so forth. But um, law enforcement is a calling, and you should have a calling if you serve, in my opinion, especially if you serve, if you're going to try to serve in an administrative role such as the chief of police position, this would be something that you should be able to use that experience that you've went through to help impart positive change uh, for the rank and file of the office. Yes, definitely don't get into it for the money. I know oh. that. I was starving to death myself and back in 95 when I started full yeah. time. It was, it, it, I was making like... Ten thousand dollars a month back then, and it was, I wasn't, I wasn't buying nothing. I could barely eat. Exactly. Time. I mean, I, you know, I've never had to go on government assistance. I, I ate a lot of ramen noodles and had to turn off my cable TV and you know all that kind of stuff. But we got by. You know, yeah. you make you make the adjustments in your life when you know that you're where you're supposed to be. And you know, you know as well as I do that back then there was no such thing as working extra duty jobs. There no. weren't any extra duty jobs to work to supplement your income. So we, I can tell you what I used to do to make extra money. I did two different things. I would either uh, collect Coke cans, you know, and and go cash them in for their aluminum, and I really did. I mean, just to make ends meet. And I also substituted at, at the junior high school. So just to make a little extra money, I made a whole $35 a day as a substitute school teacher, and, and I was glad to get it. You know? I was painting, uh, working part-time painting houses for wow. a paint company on my days off on the shift work. So wow. That's not fun. Well, I'll tell guys. You, well, now that I know you have uh, painting skills, yes. I'll get you to come by the house sometime and help me out. I'll come help you. <laughs> I, I still don't, I, I don't take nothing still. That's right. All right. Let's go. We're going to move on to the next one. We know, of course, where this is going to go with you know, me being a motorcycle cop. Uh, the I know Walker Police Department does have a motor unit at the time. At this time, do you plan on keeping it, trying to uh, put more motors on, keeping it the same? I think they have two full-time motors. And, uh, if you do, do you plan on 
type of motorcycles do you, would you like to purchase in the future? You know, they get old and just like units and you have to purchase new ones. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, I I have I love motorcycles. I ride motorcycles. I've ridden them in the past. I don't ride them any longer. I'm a little bit older now. And, uh, you so, had a crash with your personal bike, I do recall. Yeah, I have. I, I've had actually I had two, but not majors. But, I mean, just enough to get your attention. And I realized, you know what, I'm getting closer, getting older, and I – I figured that when I retired, I wanted to make sure that I was still around to enjoy my retirement or at least hopefully have all my limbs to be able to do so. So we decided to get off the bikes because both my wife and I both rode uh, separately. And so we ended up getting a Jeep and all that. But to answer your question specifically, yes, I have a heart for motors. I love motors. I, there is a absolutely pur- a purpose for, for motors uh, to exist. Um, and their motors will remain at the Walker Police Department, I think they're they're a good tool to have for funerals, escorts, and other special events, so forth like that. But I, I will say that initially, we're going to have to concentrate on the uniform patrol. Uniform patrol is the uh, lack of a better term, the bread and butter of law enforcement. The that backbone. is that is the backbone. That is the face of the police department to the public. So I want to make sure first and foremost, before we worry about uh, beefing up specialized divisions, that we have to have enough uniform patrol presence in the city at all times to be able to deal with not only the call volume, but to make sure that we have a proper amount of people there, officers on duty that can provide backup for the officers. So for example, if you, uh, let's just say on a typical shift, you may have three officers that's assigned to a shift. Well, one's on vacation. Now you're down to two. So you have two, two people operating in the city of Walker, and then one of them gets on a, a, a bad traffic crash, and they're on that for hours. So that leaves him tied up, him or her tied up. Now you have one officer to respond to all the calls in the city. Well, that's that's okay if nothing bad happens. Yes. So my my whole premise is to beef up uniform patrol, make sure that there's always enough to be able enough officers on the street at any given time to be able to provide the basic functions to answer the calls, answer the crashes, and also to be there for the officers for backup. So that's going to be a priority. That's that's number one. But as Everybody knows Walker in the in the well the whole parish the whole parish is growing in leaps and bounds. Walker's busting at the seams as everybody can see, and it's going to be interesting to see in 2021 whenever the new census numbers are revealed how many extra thousands of people have been added just into the city limits of Walker. Just because we may only have eight nine thousand people that may be in the city at the time, this there's a lot of traffic that goes through there, so there's a lot of police demand for car crashes and, and the calls for service are just going up exponentially. So we just have to be prepared. So as the city grows and as the parish grows, but especially Walker, the uh, uniform patrol motor division is going to increase. All the divisions will have to increase, and there will probably be additional divisions that will have to be created to deal with that. Now, you asked about uh, – did you ask about the types of motorcycles? Yes. I think Walker right now has a mix between some Harleys and some BMWs. Okay. Um, I'm a Harley-Davidson fan. I'll, I'll just have to say. I mean, they're an iconic bike. They're bigger. They're they're bulkier, so to speak, and they're safer. 
They're safer for the guys that ride. So I, I like that all by itself. But there's some other benefits to riding a Harley compared to, let's say, a BMW. Uh, I mean, first of all, Harley-Davidson parts are much more readily available based on what I've found out in the research I've done. Yes. There's mechanics, certified mechanics locally that are already certified to perform maintenance services on Harley-Davidson's. It, to me, it's just like a win-win. And then practically for the officer that's riding the bike, I mean, there's there's a lot more storage capability for equipment, weapons, so forth, to be able to uh, help the, the motorman uh, provide the proper services that they need to do. So Harley would be what I would go with and what I would stay with, and I would probably gradually, as the... the the existing BMW, it goes offline. It would be re- it would be replaced with a Harley Davidson. All right, well, as long as you're gonna keep the motor division. I motor division. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I know. I was kind of afraid about that question <laughs> from you. All right, the next one's a little bit different. Uh, if elected, what type of management approach would you take to ensure the respect and the trust between your officers and the community? Well. Th- that's a very important thing that you're asking. This is a very important topic right now with, with the police department. I believe that as a, an effective leader is going to have a open door policy, so to speak. I mean, of course, there is, there's a rank structure, and you're supposed to follow the rank structure, and they will. But I believe that every officer should have a, basically what I like to call as a seat at the table. And, all the decisions that are made shouldn't just run downhill and their their officers are forced to follow it, swallow it, however you want to term it. I think that everybody should have input into the policies and procedures and, and the practices of the police department when it comes to actually the enforcement mechanism. You, you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. So if you, and it's real simple, if you, if you allow the, the, rank and file, let's say, to have a seat at the table and they have input into the decisions, are you always going to agree with that? No. They're not always going to agree with the decisions that I make, but I can assure, but I can assure you if they've had a seat at the table and they've had some input and they can understand the rationale behind the decisions that are made ultimately, then they'll be more appreciative of it. Therefore, it'll be easier for them to understand, easier for them to follow, and, and easier for them to enact you know, into the community. So when you incorporate everybody into the decision-making process, you get a better product. You get a buy-in from everybody from, from the top all the way down. And I, I did this when I was the warden. You know, as the warden of the prison, for example, you know, I had 75 employees. I had 600-plus inmates. And, you know, you would think the warden, he, he's the top guy. And, and technically he was, and I was. But what I did is I had an assistant warden and I had a chief of security and with those two guys, any kind of major decision that came up regarding policies or procedures or how we were going to implement something, I was wise enough to realize that, you know, I'm not all-knowing. I'm not omniscient. You know, so I would reach out and tap these guys who both had years of corrections experience, and we would discuss it. So we had three different brains talking about the issue, coming up with solutions. And, you know, most of the time, and I'll be honest with you, my idea was great. But after listening to their suggestions and, and, and how they would implement it, I found theirs to be even better. So what would we do? We would implement their decision, their, their way they came up with the solution. And, again, because they had a seat at the table, they were anxious to go out and they would 
sell it to everybody else. And, and, and it worked that way. It was a very simple way to lead. You don't read by, you know, I'm the boss, I'm the chief, I'm the whatever. You know, you lead by allowing your people to have a, have a seat at the table. So I think, I think that's exactly going to be the approach uh, that I operate with out of the city of Walker. Now, I never, you know, ever held a high supervisor rank as you did, but uh, in my career, I did notice when people work with me that just because I thought some there was a way to do something one way, I always let the guys know. Somebody came to me and they said, well, what about this? And sometimes their idea was way better than my idea. <laughs> we would do their idea. And, you know, you just can't. Just because somebody may not, you know, be in a position, higher position, it may be a lower position guy, but they may have an idea that you never thought of that you're like, well, wait a minute, I didn't even think of that. Absolutely. And that's a good thing. So, yes, I understand where you're coming from with that. Yes, sir. Let's see what we got. I dropped it. <laughs> what, what do you believe would be the best way to monitor and evaluate the, the, the performance of your officers? Well, that's a good question. You know, a lot of times uh, in law enforcement, officers are judged by the number of tickets that they write. I mean, for example, you know, they have to show some type of proactivity. And I understand that there should be some measure on how you evaluate officers, but I don't think the number of tickets a person writes necessarily should be all-encompassing of, of how they perform. There's other things out there that, that could be looked at uh, to help evaluate whether they're being assertive and whether they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, you could look at the number of calls of service that they've handled. You could look at the number of complaints and or compliments that they've received. You could uh, document like building checks like we were talking earlier, just so that everybody will have it be a broad spectrum, so to speak. I mean, you're doing a little bit of everything without a concentration on one specific thing. There's a lot of attention paid to traffic violations in the city of Walker currently. And, uh, in, you know, I guess that's okay. But under my administration, traffic enforcement will have its place, but it will be a low priority as far as dictating whether an officer is uh, – successful or not you know I, I know there's a place for traffic enforcement and there are times when traffic tickets have to be written and all that but i want to get back to what we mentioned earlier yeah you you write somebody a ticket if you have to but let's get back to the old school way of policing the community policing yes. module where you're talking to people you're communicating with them you know you get out into the community get more involved in the community with community events and so forth you know that's going to be uh how we monitor our officers. But of course, like any, any entity does and any organization does, there's going to be annual evaluations that'll be done on them, um, on the employees to, to let them know, give them a barometer of where they're at, what they are doing, what, what's been identified as maybe good, bad, or a potential weakness. But before we get to that point, my guys are going to be my, my guys and girls, the, the employees, especially at the mid-manager level, they're going to be, we're going to have meetings with them constantly to stay on top of any issues that may be developing um, with uh, the people that they supervise. So my thing is, is trying to identify early if there's a problem with a particular officer or a particular policy or a particular whatever 
may be and trying to nip that in the bud, so to speak, early. So by taking a proactive approach, identifying potential areas of concern, we can, we can rectify it early at the early stages before it be, becomes or goes out of proportion, so to speak. You know, and by doing that, you help reduce liability uh, for the police department and for the city. So, yes, I think a lot of times now, somebody not trying to bash no younger cops, but the society we're in today is so technology based. You have a you have a lot of younger cops come out and could be uh, I'm going to put this schooled or uh, trained on how to interact and speak with the public more than, I mean, I, just, I have kids that age and in, in their early 20s, and they rather text somebody than talk to them. And Absolutely. Just some training on the talking to the community and actually interacting personally. Well, I think society today is getting so technological-based, uh, they're not getting that human interaction no more. And you're getting the younger generation out that don't get that human contact no more. They have to get out there and talk to the people. I agree. Like you know what? I find myself sometimes we'll be at the house with my kids and grandkids and everybody just hanging out watching a ball game. And you'll look, you'll all of a sudden everybody will stop talking and everybody's just looking down and they're, they're texting, they're playing on their phone and there's no communication that's going on. And sometimes you just have to stay, put your phones down, let's visit. You know, I agree with you. Technology is a double-edged sword, so to speak. I mean, it is great in some ways, but it's also terrible in some ways. But I agree with you. Today's younger officers, the ones that are starting out their career, I believe are at a disadvantage because they, they haven't experienced. It's their norm. Their norm is to text all the time and not to look people in the face when they speak with them and, and those kinds of things. And we're going to try to guide them slowly and gently back to the old ways of communicating, talking to people, you know, just trying to be officer friendly. So, you know, back in the day, everybody joked officer friendly. Well, you know, help people be nice. I mean, a smile goes a long way to somebody giving somebody a break when they're having a, a bad day. If you can goes a long way, you know, just treat people how you want to be treated. You know, even nice man gets people breaks pulled over, Two juveniles today on a dirt bike. On a, they came off a state road onto a parish road. No, they didn't. Yes, I stopped them. They were polite. They were nice. They were not rude, cocky, or nothing like that. Well, guess what? I didn't write them no tickets. I didn't tow their motorcycle. I told them the law. I explained the law to them. I explained to them why it was there and why I stopped them and my concern for their safety. Because that was my main concern is they're on dirt bikes with no proper equipment, they didn't even have helmets on. Wow. If they would have got hit on that road or something, they could have got killed. That yeah. was my main concern. We had a little talk, wasn't even just maybe three minutes. I told him, I said, look, this is this time's on me. You know, I'm going to give y'all a break this time. Y'all bring them back home, ride them in the dirt, where they, the mud, wherever they're supposed to be in the woods. Don't come back on the road. If I catch you on the road again next time, it's going to be different. Right. But – but I gave them that opportunity. Now, if they do it again, that's on them. They've been – I gave them plenty of opportunities at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I gave these kids a break. So maybe next time – maybe they won't do it again. Hopefully they won't. But Well, that's fair. You know, and what's, what's good about that is by the way you spoke to them, giving them the break and explaining to them exactly what your concerns were, you don't know what kind of positive impact you may have on them. They may have had a negative – 
uh, ideology about law enforcement. They maybe have had some bad run-ins with police before, but by you acting the way that you did today and, and talking to them and, and treating them with respect and giving them a break, it opened their minds up a little bit. They're not completely, you know, oh, the police are bad, that kind of thing. You just gave them an opportunity to see that you're a real person, that you have a heart and that you care and that you could have written them tickets and and made their life inconvenient, but you chose not to. All right, my last question for you is what is your long-term – if you win the election, what would your long-term goal be for the Walker Police Department? What would you like to see it go to in the future? Well – that's, again, that's a wonderful question. Everybody knows that the parish I mentioned earlier is growing in leaps and bounds. And what I heard recently at an event, a chamber event that I was at, is that the population of Livingston Parish is supposed to double to over a quarter of a million people in the next 15-plus years. So that's going to make Livingston Parish a major metropolitan area. Well, Walker's already the second largest city in, in the parish of, of Livingston, so you know what that's going to do. I mean, we're busting at the seams now, so it's going to even grow more. So you're going to have not only the good people that are going to be moving into the area, but you're also going to have uh, some of the, the not-so-nice people that will be moving into the area. So the demands throughout the city is going to increase in all areas. So the infrastructure uh, is going to have to increase. You know, the number of police and, and the services that are provided by law enforcement fire protection, the roads, drainage, you can go on and on. But specifically, my immediate attention is going to be be, um, paid on trying to stabilize the current trend at the Walker Police Department. Right now, they've they've had a tremendous issue with turnover rate. And I'm not being any judge about that, but I I know that more than 100%, they've had more than 100% turnover in the last three and a half or so years, whenever you have that rate of turnover, regardless of the reason why it's happened, you lose a lot of valuable experience. You're you're missing the 10 to 15-year, 20-year guys that have been field training officers, that's had a lot of experience and been exposed to a lot of things that can import positive change um, and positive examples as well to the younger generation that's coming into police work. So number one, we would have to work on retaining uh, officers that are employed by, by the city. We have to do that, and th- there's a number of ways to do that. We need to uh, work on the pay. The pay is very, very low. Law enforcement generally is paid very low. Walker is, is, not, is right there with them, and they don't make a, a ton of money. So that has to be fixed. Um, so I could work with the, the mayor and the city council as the tax base increases in the city to work on uh, raises for the officers and hopefully long term, you know, have systematic raises where they're, they're occurring all the time, you know, yearly based maybe on annual evaluations and so mm-hmm. forth. The morale is, is a problem right now. There's some things that are going on in that doesn't need to be discussed on the air, but there's things that are going on. So you can improve morale um, by doing a lot of things, increasing the pay, solidifying your workforce, increasing the training that they receive uh, would be also very important. I believe in, in providing great training and having great equipment for these guys and gals to do their job. So I would work on making sure that they have the best vest, the best, you know, the weapons that they use are up to date and, and they're functional, you know, that their units, a lot of the units are very old. 
Uh, I'd like to, for them to be in, in, in better vehicles that have um, better conditions for them, maybe be even larger to accommodate all the equipment that they carry, s- stuff like that. Uh, one of the big things that I'm going to reach out and do is I'm going to put a, a school resource officer back into the schools in the city of Walker. At one time, the Walker Police Department provided a school resource officer for the school system, just for the schools in the city limits of Walker, but they no longer have that. So I believe that there's nothing more important than the students and the kids and our kids and our grandkids that go to go to these schools up here, you know? I mean, at any given time in the city of Walker, that's the largest number of people congregated at any one time. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Walker police officer, school resource officer, there at the school, ready to deal with any kind of issues that arise, but most importantly is to def- to deter anybody from coming on campus and, and doing some type of random act of violence or whatever the case may be. And that goes back earlier what I was saying. You can't always quantify, you know, expenses. Is it worth having an SRO there? Well, is it worth it for if, if your kid or your grandchild goes to that school, is there somebody there that's hopefully going to be able to prevent an, an, an issue that happens there? Well, 100% yes. So I'd like to restore an SRO uh, back into the school system. And as time goes on, you never know. That might be a division that increases, you know, because the schools are they're busting at the seams. And I think they're in the process of building uh, or planning to build some new schools in the Walker area now. Well, I uh, think SROs, uh, they're not – like their officers, they don't teach classes, but that's ours. I've seen just through my years, and still now that a lot of SROs get a personal connection with a lot of their students, even high school students in 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 their environment. Even though they're there for the protection, and a lot of people don't understand, SROs aren't there to enforce school rules. Right, they're only there to deter crime and stuff like that. They're not going to enforce the kids. She's not being tied or whatever it is, but right. But a lot of these SROs, through the years, these kids go. They actually get a personal connection with these law enforcement people, and it helps with the the community policing, and it helps with the light on you know law enforcement in the community and stuff like that. It does, and see the school resource officers tie into the Dare program because see the Dare program is taught in you know the fifth of the sixth grade and that's generally right before kids are being placed under peer pressure to to use drugs or to act violent and all that well you give them the information you know in, through the dare program about what they can expect and, and the issues that are coming but with having an sro in the school system exactly what you said there's kind of like a follow-up with uh, the officer being on campus because they do develop relationships the students develop relationships, they talk to the officer, they actually sometimes, uh, you know, they're the only person that they feel comfortable talking to, you know, based on their circumstances. So it, it absolutely is a, a community outreach type program because, I mean, they're there, they're accessible, they're there to help, you know, and uh, I think there's nothing more important than protecting our children and at the same time, giving them an avenue to have somebody to talk to. Because, they're like, like you said, they're not there to uh, do anything but to protect these students. But, if, I mean, if a crime occurs on campus or something, they're there to deal with that kind of stuff. But, again, they actually act as a deterrent yes, for deterrent. any kind of future behavior.
kind of like same reason a lot of these stores give law enforcement free drinks. People, I'm sure they they do that not to. I'm sure they just want to make sure we're hydrated, but <laughs> but they a lot of them do that because they know that the law enforcement will stop into their store to get something to drink, which is a deterrent from them being robbed. Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of people have talked about that in the years. Oh well, that's graft, and that's that's not right, and that's. That's whatever, you know, but I, that's right. If I was a business owner and uh, I owned a, a convenience store or so forth, I would love for law enforcement officers to hang out in my parking lot and come inside and get a cup of coffee, use the bathroom. That way that's letting everybody know that this is a frequently uh, visited place by law enforcement and that this is not a good place to try to commit any crimes or do anything like that. Yes, bad so, guys do watch that. They pay oh, attention. People yeah. think they don't, but well, they do. I've learned over the years that the bad guys are sometimes they make foolish decisions, but a lot of them are very, very conniving. They're very, uh, they're very smart, and they're just they choose to go a different route. So yeah, they follow patterns. <laughs> they they very perceptive of those kinds of things. So yeah. All right. Well, I've asked you all the questions that I gave you, and I'm, now if I missed anything or anything that you want to say for yourself, you, it's all up to you. I've got the questions out. Like I said, I'm not no gotcha guy, so whatever you want to talk about or say. or Well, I have a general statement I'll say, and then I'll be done. I know you all have things to do. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is this. I have a heart for Walker. You know, I've been living in Walker for 32 years. I've raised my kids here, my grandkids, and I just love Walker. You know, being the police chief of the city of Walker is going to be a – if I'm elected, it's going to be a tremendous honor. This is not something that I have to do. You know, I have a pension I'm, I'm, that I'm drawing from my agency, and I'm okay, you know. But because of the, there's a, a need here, of if you vote for me and you elect me as your chief, I'll be honored, of course, but I think it's going to be a bigger win for the city as a whole. I have the experience. I have the education. I have the knowledge to be able to bring in the, the positive change to help, help the department to progress from where it's at right now and lead it into the future. So I would just appreciate that everybody consider me uh, for your vote when the time comes. Again, the election is going to be November 3rd. It ties in with the presidential election this year. I haven't been going door-to-door yet because of the COVID pandemic, and I don't want to alienate people and so forth, but hopefully before too long, uh, everything will be released, and then you'll see me because I will go to every door in the city of Walker and try to make contact with you. If I miss you, you'll get a push card that you'll see, and you can read about me. Please check me out on Facebook. Um, I'm on it's Jim Brown for Walker Police Chief. I appreciate you going to that page, looking at it, liking it, sharing it with your friends. Uh, there's a phone number on there that you can call me anytime if you have any questions or if you want to sign or if you have anything uh, that you'd like to contribute uh, to this conversation regarding the race, I'm, I'm an open book. This is my first uh, realm in the political world. I've never run for office, never thought that I would. And I, I'm doing this at the, at the bequest of uh, some of the officers in the police department, as well as uh, a lot of the citizenry that had contacted me. So I, I, have, I have what it takes, and I'd appreciate that you... Uh, Consider me for your vote. I take nothing for granted. All right. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you tremendously coming on. I'll put it back out again. 
Chief uh, Addison is more than welcome to come on. I gave him the questions. If he calls and needs them again, I will give them to him. No gotcha moments. Uh, everybody listening, I'm totally unbiased because I can't vote for either one of these people at all. So I have no dog in this hunt whatsoever. I'm just doing this for uh, Jim Brown and Chief Addison. Like I said, let them get their word out for some people that may not be able to hear it. So I can put it on their Facebook page. So I'm going to end it here. I'm, like I said, it's not my normal one, so I'm not going to give you my normal spiel at the end. But uh, everybody stay safe and uh, have a good weekend. I'm cranking up on the throttle.